You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, as always, with your host, Jeff Lloyd, for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, your team every day. Guys, as you get yourself into the car, buckle up, get the car running, ask your hands-free device. Play Locked On Browns podcast. Guys, uh, hands-free device and things of that nature, it's more and more becoming the wave of everyday use, so you might as well take use of it, and uh, like I said, ask your car stereo, play Locked On Browns podcast. Uh, got a little news of the day here before we get to our guest. Um, Jamie Collins, uh, to the surprise of none, the only thing I would wonder is if maybe there was any talk of maybe, you know, a, a reduce in pay, but uh, I mean, we all know Jamie Collins, guys, he likes his cash. Uh, so Jamie Collins freeing up over $9 million in cap space. Uh, coming in for a visit tomorrow, um, my favorite cornerback from the 2015 NFL Draft, Kevin Johnson, will be in Berea. Um, whether or not something comes of it, we'll see you that. Um, I was a huge fan of Kevin's. Uh, similar to the signing last season of EJ Gaines, Kevin Johnson, uh, he's uh, through four years in the NFL, he's, he's had a lot of injuries. Um, body's definitely taken a toll. Uh, good player, what's left of him? You know, what could he be? I don't know, but, uh, you know, Look, obviously John Dorsey has shown in his first year here, he wrote in five corners. Uh, cornerback is a huge position in his eyes, so he's never, ever going to stop chasing after that uh, position. Oh, and then there's something else. Um, last night we got done recording with Rennell Ren from Arizona State. If you guys didn't catch that, go ahead, check it out. Fantastic young man, big, big kid, quick. Uh, guys, six foot five, 318 pounds, aren't supposed to run five flat 40s, but great kid. He was a great interview. I, I dropped the audio, you know, waiting for it, to, you know, to download and everything, so I can get the show up. What do you do? You go check your messages, and I'm not gonna put the name out yet. But uh, once the story, if the story does become official, we will give full credit to where it's due. Um, but yes, there is a, a lot of talk of Odell Beckham possibly to the New York Giants. Um, there would be an exchange of a first round pick if it's this year's. If it's not this year's, that's not finalized. Kevin Zeitler's name does appear to be something that's in that deal. If anybody's watching New York Giants. You know they need offensive line play, and they need a lot of it. Um, would hurt to lose Kevin Zeitler, fantastic player. Uh, whatever forum you use, whether it's PFF or you go by straight film, guys, probably one of the top two or three guards in the NFL last season. And obviously Kevin was a former guest of the show. So it uh, would be tough to lose him, but you know, if you're going to bring in a guy who makes the money that Odell Beckham makes, I'd be some find a way to soften up that money, and Kevin does make a good chunk of change at almost over $12 million a year. Um, there are some other possible names, players, Derek Kindred, Emmanuel Agba, some maybe other exchange of draft picks. But uh, look, this is this has been going on for almost 24 hours now. Um, like I said, I had it last night, probably a little bit after 7 o'clock from you know, who I speak with. It was funny seeing the big media scramble late in this afternoon trying to put, a, put this together and you know, some of them poo-pooing it. Maybe they're poo-pooing it because they didn't have it. But uh, it is kind of interesting to see that the uh, our little nice Cleveland contingent of the guys we have, our little fraternity we got here, and this last night, I mean, it kept us all up oh, it's almost damn at midnight, just the possibilities of it. And look, I mean, the price is going to be high, guys. This is what we told you. My problem was two first-round picks, no thank you. If you can get this deal done and you're only giving up one first-round pick and you're somehow bringing Odell Beckham into the fold, yeah, I- I'm there with the big old giant ears. But we are going now to get tonight's 
tonight's show, whether it is Cover One, whether it is the Draft Board Podcast, whether it's the Climbing the Pocket Podcast, he's been on before. Um, but draft-wise, you know, look, me and Pete, we get sick of each other. You know, we did four days in a row at a combine. We need a little break, recharge our batteries. I get some fresh guys in here to talk with. Uh, obviously, he did Mobile this year, um, and we talked about this. My buddy Jordan Reed is about to become a father. He's got twin little girls on the way. Uh, Jordan, first off, man, how are you managing everything, the steps along the line? Obviously, the busiest time of the year for us all with you know drafting all that stuff, and obviously a lot going on at home. You pacing yourself, man? You drinking enough water? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to stay afloat as best as I can. I'm doing a good job of it right now, just managing everything with the combine going on, trying to get that done, and the draft guide going on as well. But then, of course, the twin girls on the way as well. And, you know, the wife is pregnant, so <laughs> I have to be there by her side every time I can or every chance that I get. But I'm doing a good job of managing everything. It was actually funny. the uh, When my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, we lived about – 350 yards away from a Chili's. It was at the end of the street. Um, and, like, you know, my buddies come over, be watching Monday Night Football or whatever. Guys be like, man, I'm getting a little hungry. I'm like, just chill. Like, well, what do you mean, dude? I said, bro, it's getting about the witching hour. I said, Amory's going to be up here any second, bro. She's going to be hungry. Don't worry about it. And, and <laughs> you would set your watch by it. Hey, guys. And that's like, oh, she, if she wouldn't eat during the day, she, like, she didn't have morning sickness. She had, like, up until like dark t- darkness sickness and then all of a sudden it was time and yeah oh yeah anybody feel like wings yeah, yeah just, get, just get like six dozen and you know it was a blast it was a good time you guys were like dude why are we always over here if your wife's pregnant i was like dude she wants the company and needs somebody to eat with it's fine trust me she's cool with it <laughs> uh, my wife actually carries pizza so it's pretty easy for me <laughs> there you go See, pizza and it was even one we had a you know mcdonald's that was five minutes away i mean there'd be times she'd shake me up at twelve thirty at night I'm going to go get a couple of cheeseburgers. You hungry? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, whatever. If you're going, you know, I might as well eat a cheeseburger. Right. <laughs> but, Jordan, obviously a lot went down this weekend. Um, I, I, Some of the positional groups just absolutely, you know, what you kind of expected. There were some that weren't expected, like the linebackers. And, I mean, you almost, like, you kind of shook your head and, like, we sure this isn't the running back group and not the linebacker group with the way those guys ran. But uh, let's start with this. Give me some give me some guys, some winners, and I always like to ask this one. Give me some guys, and we love to use this term. Ooh, let's go fire up some tape on this guy now because there's a head-scratcher. Yeah, so just starting off with the first day, the offensive line, I thought the group looked really well. Andre Dillard is a name I thought stood out amongst the pack, and this was a, an event that was really set up for him to succeed because the report around him about about him is that he's very athletic so this event was set up for him to have success and i thought he flourished in it he looked very fluid not only in just the on the field testing but the on the field drills as well he just looked different from everybody else and everybody has already labeled him as the best pass protecting offensive lineman in this group and i thought he lived up to that hype and even more and he showed just how fluid he is in the drills garrett bradbury is another name that i thought looked fantastic as well eric mccoy the center from Texas A&M is another great name as well on um, the running backs. I thought the 1B type of running backs looked the best out of the group. And then the 1A type of backs that looked better than some of the 1B type of backs was Miles Sanders from Penn State. I thought he wasn't a more notable name coming into the event, but I thought he took full advantage of Josh Jacobs being out. And everybody sees Josh Jacobs as that consensus top guy right now. So some of these lower tier, the second and third tier guys had their chance to finally separate themselves from the pack or get their name in that first or second tier. 
And Alex Barnes from Kansas State is another name that really caught me by surprise, a guy that I hadn't done a bunch of film work on. And he was pegged as a later round guy coming into the event, even a UDFA by some major media networks as well. So he played himself into maybe the earlier to mid portions of day three, maybe the fourth or the fifth round now, just because of how well he tested. And David Montgomery, he didn't test very well, but I thought in the drills he looked very fluid. There were some questions about just how fast he would be, and nobody really expected him to run fast. So him running in the four sixes was typical, but I thought he looked very fluid in the drills. He caught the ball extremely well as well. So some names that were really disappointing on that first day was Greg Little from Ole Miss. And he's a bit Jekyll and Hyde. And what I mean by that is he's really up and down and hot and cold in his game. And he was pegged as this athletic offensive tackle coming to the event. But you jump 25 in the vertical and then you run in the five threes. So you're just not this huge athletic guy that you were built out to be. And I thought he was living a bit off that five-star reputation that he had coming into Ole Miss. And his film really doesn't back that up of what he showed at Ole Miss. And I was just really disappointed by the way he moved around. I didn't think he would run as bad as he did. And I'm not saying that he would be as athletic as what Andre Dillard showed. But I thought he probably would be a little bit below that. But his testing just wasn't even close to Andre Dillard's. On running backs, Elijah Holyfield was by far the most disappointing of the group, in my opinion. I mean, you run high four sevens, and then you just didn't test well. You didn't catch the ball out the backfield either. So what exactly is your role going to be? Are you just going to be this two-down guy that is already shorter or already smaller than some of these other guys as well? So I just wasn't a big fan of what he did during the combine, and I think he really has an uphill battle to fight right now. And then the guy that I was a huge fan of coming into the event was Devin Singletary from Florida Atlantic. I thought he was a bit underwhelming as well. I didn't expect him to run as slow as he did. I thought he would probably be in the low to high four fives. I thought he would be more in that range and not in the far off four sixes. I think he ran a four six six. So uh, he was a bit far off than where I thought he would be um, on the day two uh, with the wide receivers. I thought this group. There were some surprises in the group. Miles Boykin from Notre Dame, he's definitely one of those guys you peg as, I need to go back and watch film on this guy. I mean, he jumps out the gym, he jumped 40-plus, run 4-4 as well. So he's one of those guys you have to go back and study the film on because he's probably going to be overdrafted now because whenever a guy tests well at the combine, even though they have limited production, Coaches are always going to feel like they have the secret recipe to get that out of Exactly. We'll teach him what he needs to learn. Absolutely. Even though he is a bit raw, which he does show on film. So the natural traits are there from a testing standpoint. But from as far as playing the position, he's just not there yet. Um, Nikhil Harry, I thought he took advantage of a prime opportunity. Yep. He ran a bit faster uh, than what a lot of people thought he would run. He ran four five four, which is a really good time. Uh, for him so aj brown is another guy i thought looked fantastic as well some underwhelming receivers was little jordan humphrey from texas he ran much slower than what a lot a lot of people thought he was going to run running in the four sevens at receiver that's just not good at all and riley ridley he was pegged up to be just just having some dominating traits some dominating traits but he just didn't show that at the combine i mean you only jump in the low 30s in the vertical and then you just don't look explosive in the drills as well and i think he's another guy that i think we hitched our wagon a little bit too far on him uh just be he just didn't have the results that a lot of people were really accustomed or estimating him to have so on day two i was expecting a bit more out of the receivers but who really stuck out was the ohio state receivers Terry mclaurin yep 
Paris Campbell, both of those guys ran in the four threes. And I didn't think McLaurin would be as fast as what he did test. And I did have my eye close on him. I thought he would run in the low four fours, but him clocking at four three was just fantastic for him. I'm a huge fan of McLaurin. Paris Campbell running a four three one was fantastic as well. But he does have to have some manufactured touches with him. That's really what his career was revolved around at Ohio State. He's more of a gadget type of guy, even though he was the leading receiver at Ohio State last year. But you have to find a way to manufacture some touches for him because he is so explosive, whether that's tunnel screens, bubble screens, or any type of screens, just getting him the ball. And they ran some of those quick tosses to him as well, where he's just taking the ball 60, 70 yards down the field as well. Yeah, um, a couple of names I want to go to here from day one and day two. Um, it's, it was weird because David Montgomery was a guy that everybody loved throughout the season. And then leading up to the Combine was kind of a name that wasn't spoken of anymore, which kind of tells you maybe everybody kind of knew the writing on the wall. He wasn't going to run very fast. But the wingspan is ridiculous on David Montgomery. That's going to aid him very well. That obviously shows the t- uh, tackle-breaking ability that he had at Iowa State. He's still going to be an interesting name. And because in this group, which, you know, I mean, some of the guys who were hyped up, like you mentioned Singletary, you can't be a little bit of an undersized guy and be slow as all heck. A guy everybody was trying to prop up the board in Elijah Holyfield, well, not a guy who runs into four eights. Uh, you know, you don't go up from there, you're usually going to drop. So maybe it solidifies a guy like David Montgomery as, hey, this is maybe not one of the sexiest backs in this class, but he's maybe one of the safer backs in this class. You know what it is you got with him. Um, I do agree. Uh, Greg Little going out there and kind of almost giving you an Orlando Brown type of performance when the one thing you were kind of banking on, and like like we just said, you know, with uh, with Boykin was, you know, oh, that's all right if he's a great athlete. We'll teach him what he doesn't need to know. Well, wait a minute. Now it's strike two because he ain't that either. So, you know, Greg Little, I mean, Greg Little may have just pummeled himself down to a day three pick. Nikhil Harry. And this was one that confused me. And, you know, look, I, you know, I don't get too in it, but a lot of people, wow, I don't know if the speed's there. I don't know if the speed's there. But there were there were a couple of plays where he's catching the ball, you know, bottom of your screen, cutting back, running all the way, 35, 40 yards, ended up all the way on the opposite end of the field. And it, it, to me, that translated, that's got to be some decent enough game speed. It ain't like ain't nobody slow out west. They may not hit like other conferences out west, but these guys usually can run. So Harry putting up that number, you know, it probably solidified himself as probably a two, three, four, whatever you want to put him at and receiver that's going to go off the board. Impressive, impressive job by him. I, I, I came away more of a fan of his. I was one. I was almost kind of buying into, wow, maybe if this many people have athletic concerns. But I thought his number was fantastic. Um, we're going to kick it on over to the defensive side of the ball here. Guys, if uh, you're listening on uh, iTunes, do me a favor. Drop a quick five-star over there. Written review. Greatly, greatly appreciate it as we continue here with Jordan Reed. Now, Jordan, defensively, and I guess we'll start up front. It's Look, I mean, these guys were labeled as, look, this is a ridiculously really, really good group up front. And both, interior, exterior. We'll start with the interior guys. But they did nothing to disappoint. I mean, obviously, Ed Oliver, we didn't get to see, you know, much on the field. We got to see jumps, which were fantastic. 287. Oh, maybe he is a D-tackle. 32 reps. Oh, that's a D-tackle number two. Um, and, but the rest of these guys, and you know, whether there's, I mean, we got we had guys in, in the 320s running five ones, guys at 318 running five flats. This was just an incredible group. Yeah, it was, and I think that the big names lived up to the hype. Like you mentioned, Quentin Williams is another name that really lived up to the hype. Oh my god! Yeah, 
his his ten yard split was just ridiculous. I think it was a one six seven. So that's just phenomenal for him. Christian Wilkins, a guy I'm very high on. Love his character, love his leadership, and everything that he stands for. I thought he looked really good in spots as well. I thought his athleticism really shined in the on the field drills. He just showed how athletic he was, and just it it goes to show just how athletic he really was. Because I mean, they gave him touches out of the backfield as well at Clemson yep. in, in the goal line. So. We He's saw it firsthand, Jordan. We saw it yeah. firsthand against our Knowles, bud. <laughs> Absolutely. And a, a deep sleeper that really helped himself a lot was Tristan Hill from Central Florida. I wasn't uh, He wasn't really on my radar coming into the event, but now I go back and watch him, and you see the effort all on his tape. He's known for his ball get-off. Just his hustle plays, his ball pursuit is really good as well. But there was a weird thing that happened with him last year. His junior year, he actually started 13 games. But last year, he only started one game the entire season. So there may be some off-the-field things going on with him. Maybe he just didn't have good chemistry with the coaching staff. And I'm sure that's something that a lot of teams did dug in on him about in his meetings and asked him about that as well. But I think those three guys really stole the show. And even your guy, Rennell Wren, I thought he looked really fantastic as well. And he's just he's just stamping his resume every single time he gets a chance to show just what he can do. He looked really good at the senior bowl as well. And mm-hmm. I put a I put a star beside his name when I was down there as well, just to go back and watch him. And I thought he played out of position at Arizona State because they were playing him at nose tackle, but he's definitely a three technique defensive tackle. So I'm really interested to see exactly how his career goes and where he does land. It was actually interesting because even speaking with him last night, like he, he actually put a lot of it on himself. And he said, look, man, my first three years at Arizona State, he said it was, you know, it just wasn't going my way. And he says, I, I kind of had to look in the mirror and realize, look, nobody's going to care. I got to control and make my own destiny. And, you know, kind of dug deep down within himself. Uh, his father is uh, actually, uh, I think, a federal police officer, like he said. So obviously there's a lot of structure within his life. So, he, you know, he put it on himself. You know, a lot of guys in that situation, what do you normally see at the college level? They bail. They run, go somewhere else, you know, they, you know, find a way to blame it on the school. You know, he found a way to put some of the onus on himself, get himself, make himself a better player. And obviously, you know, you, and you love to see these guys that, you know, can jump themselves up around or around or two, a guy like him, a guy like Kalen Saunders, another guy we got to speak with. Those are the stories that's, I mean, everybody knows the top 10 players in every draft class. You know, them inside and out for God's sake, send them to the point where, you know, his dog's name, his mom's name, but it's nice to see these guys who you know, are smaller names in September, October, and they just gradually continue to pick up steam, and then they ace the Senior Bowl, then they ace the Combine. Those are always the parts. You know, that, that's what makes every draft different, and it's, you know, everybody obviously plays a role. There's characters, and it's always nice to see those guys who, you know, weren't really highly thought of, and then, you know, all of a sudden they end up top 100 players. Um, then we get to the outside, and we're going to start with our Noel. We're going to start there. Brian Burns. Yeah. Now, <laughs> he looked great. He yeah, looked great. Well, and, he was, and let's just start right off the bat with this. He's too light. Oh, my God. Can we get some weight on him? What did we hear about three? We heard about, what, five, six days before the combine. Brian Burns working out at Exos. He's rocking 246. All the naysayers, what was their first reaction? Yeah, let's see if he shows up at 246. Showed up at 249. 249. Blazes a 4.53. Uh, Jordan, we've seen, that, and it's not like this guy's a late riser. I mean, even though he came out early, not even 21 years old yet, he played from jump down in Tallahassee. And, it, I mean, we've seen a bunch of pass rushers. But, I mean, this guy from day one had it. Uh, he's got the length, can use his hands, got a spin move. Brian Burns can play some ball. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think teams that want are looking for a 3-4 outside linebacker, I think that's exactly who he could be. And he showed off his fluidity in the on-field drills. I mean, he looked like a defensive back going through those drills. <laughs> yeah, that catch even, on the sidelines. He looked like a tight end, for God's sakes. Yeah, and even going up to attack the ball out the air, he looked very clean catching the ball. There wasn't any sense of cradling or double catching the ball. He caught it and squoze it really cleanly. And that's what you want to see, especially out of a 3-4 outside linebacker which i think is his best transition and where he should translate to the best i don't think he's best suited as a 4-3 defensive end because he's gonna have to hold up at the point of attack a bit more consistently than what he would have to be as a 3-4 outside linebacker and he can stand up in a sprinter stance meaning that his ball can be a little bit better he can just show off that fantastic bend and it goes to show you, you never know what's going to happen at these events. There's so many rumors that come out. What do guys weigh? How tall are they going to be? And all leading up to the NFL draft, Brian Burns is only 230 pounds. He goes out, he, he weighs 249 pounds. And then even after that, people were saying it was bad weight. He was just adding it for the combine. There's no way he's going to run. Then he goes out and runs a 4-5-3. So he's just checking box after box but as I mean, he goes along. But last year, Derwin James was a beast. Josh Sweat was a beast. Matthew Thomas, still an under-talked-about name, was an absolute stud. Some of these schools pump out athletes. And, you know, I don't, you know, and everybody, oh, well, you don't look at the school. Look at it. Well, I mean, you can look at the school as far as their track record. You know, most of the time, these Washington DBs, these guys are absolutely ridiculous. To have some faith in some of these strength and you know training coaches. These guys know what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what they get paid to do. And Brian Burns was a perfect example of that and why you just can't believe everything leading up to the draft. All right. With a guy like Brian Burns, and obviously some other guys outside were as well, and we're not going to poke in front of him just because he's a Gator. You get a guy like Ja'Kai Polite, and it was just a... Man, uh, I mean, it, it, it started bad, and you know, I, I, the whole thing. I mean, he, he seemed to get like a little upset that he was going into these meetings, and I mean, I don't know what he thought he was going to meet with these teams. You know, not everybody's going to go in there and say, "Wow, your film's gorgeous. We're going to watch every sack you ever had. We're going to draft you number two overall." No, they're going to bust your chops, man. They're going to tell you what they think. You know, they you need to get better at. I'm not really sure what he thought he was getting into, but it seemed like that aggravated him. Uh, ran a bad 40, and then, you know, Jordan, as it always goes on, the old, my hamstring, my hamstring. Just a bad, bad weekend, and the, and the word coming out afterwards ain't much prettier. No, it's not, and he's the one guy out of any prospect in this entire draft class that was at the combine I thought hurt themselves the most, and it's unfortunate because I was a huge Ja'Kai Polite fan, but this is what I talked about the last time we talked. There was some off-the-field concerns mm-hmm. with him and him being a bit – uncoachable and i mean i don't know him personally or anything like that so i don't want to knock him too much but that's something that i did hear about him and that he was a bit touchy about himself and that there was some coachable questions or if he is coachable just because he thinks the world of himself and whenever you do criticize him he doesn't really he takes it very defensive i should say it that way and you saw it at his pre at his combine uh press conference as well so just I mean, I've never seen no prospect just come out. I've never seen any prospect come out and say that teams nitpicked me through an entire interview as opposed to taking the positive, constructive criticism and just improving upon it going forward as opposed to blasting them in front of the media. So he hurt himself a lot, and it wouldn't surprise me if he does slip all the way to day two now that that has happened. 
it's it's going to be an issue, and I'll be honest. You know what? It, it almost screams like right now is it almost scream? You know, because everybody used to say, "Oh, Cincinnati Bengal." I almost think now it's a little bit more Oakland Raider. Like John Gruden don't care. He's just going to need some football players. So there could be a home for Jakai Plate, and obviously they need some help there on the edge. Um, now uh, we'll get to now the linebackers, and you know. It, it, it was weird because everybody was looking for the Devin and Devin show, and obviously Devin Bush, you know, the top of every drill, Devin White, the end of every drill. One was, you know, with the way, you know, the alpha, you know, the alphabetical order with, with which they do things. And I had, and even Jordan, because he burned our Seminoles, you know, and told his dad, nah, 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 I'm gonna go to Michigan, Dad. And then Dad had to scramble and follow him up to Michigan. I I preferred Devin Bush, the linebacker, over Devin White, the player. Look, I mean, if you're gonna base it on anything we saw Sunday. It, it, it's a you know whatever scoop of ice cream you whatever flavor of ice cream you like that's your guy it's fine, um, but I do think Devin surprised a lot of people. I don't think people thought you were going to get the speed close to Devin White, and I don't think anybody thought Devin Bush was going to jump better than Devin White. Yeah, and I'm right there with you, and I don't think you're completely alone in saying Bush is better than White. And like you said, it just depends on what type of flavor of linebacker or prospect that you do want, but as far as an instinct standpoint, I think Bush is far ahead than White because White reminds me a bit of Jared Davis coming out and that he gets fooled a bit by play action mm-hmm. and misdirection plays because he is so aggressive that he false steps a lot. And then before you know it, he's completely out of the play and leaving the middle gaps voided for the most part. But with Devin Bush, he's a bit more instinctive and he doesn't, what I like to say, take the cheese as much as Devin White does. So, <laughs> I mean, you're not alone in thinking that. And of, I, of course, I think White is going to be drafted before Bush, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Bush turns out to be the better player of the two. Yeah, and I think Bush, you know, I think some of it's obviously, you know, being the son of a player, you know, he was coached by his father. So, I mean, and there were other Florida State guys who were assistant coaches on that staff in high school. So, I think they they got really, really, really well-schooled at a really well a really young age. But his read and reaction is just, it's just off the charts. Plus, the other thing is, I think he, Devin Bush, you can just say, he's a linebacker. You draft him. And... Sometimes he can play Sam if you need him to. He can play Will. He can play middle. I mean, he's just a linebacker. Those read and recognition skills, they'll work from any spot you put him in. He can start off at one spot if you have a good mic and then maybe eventually move into that mic as that game maybe gets phased out. But uh, like we said, it was a deep, deep group. And these guys, I mean, it was literally 4-6 after 4-6, all these guys. Um, even, you know, I, I don't think he belonged in the uh, the linebacker drills. Porter Gustin, here's a guy with a big history uh, big injury history out of USC. You know, probably a guy who's going to start off maybe as a reserve and or edge. But, I mean, all of these guys, just everybody seemed to show up. Give me a name or two that caught your eye. Yeah, it was Blake Cashman from Minnesota. Yeah. And he wasn't a big notable name coming to the event. Some people had him as a top 10 linebacker. And even Dane Brugler talked about this. Everyone gave him a large, who was that guy when he put him in his top 10? But if you go back and watch his film, he's just all over the field. He's your typical Mike that you like to peg in the middle of your defense and just makes plays all over the field. And every time you look up, it's like, man, he's got 15 tackles. He's got 20 tackles. He's just stuffing the stat sheet every time he is out there for the Gophers. So he was the heart and soul of that defense. And I think he's finally getting his due diligence and being noticeable because a lot of people wanted to peg him as just being the special teams or back-end depth guy. But he had plenty of talent. But now it's come to the forefront now, and his combine fully exhibited that. Yeah, there's just there's no way around it, and I think for him, and it was it was the shoulders. And look, I mean, it, it's probably still going to hurt him 
at, you know, when he gets drafted. You know, shoulder injuries, a linebacker, that's something you're going to have some concerns about. But, you know, Minnesota or not, young man knows what he's doing in the middle and is capable of making a ton, a ton of plays there. Um, then we got to, obviously, the final day on Monday. Uh, and it was weird now. Obviously, you know, everybody kind of seems consensus on your top three, whether it's a DeAndre Baker, the speed wasn't too fantastic. Byron Murphy, speed wasn't too fantastic. Greedy Williams ran really, really well. His on-field workouts were a little bit of mystery, and he's another one that seemed to get frustrated. And I talked about this last night. It's a tough spot, man. With It is especially for the underclassmen because you didn't say, oh, well, you know what? I was really good in Mobile. So, you know, there's a lot of folks who I walked I walked away from, you know, the, the Senior Bowl, and they came away pressed with me. For these underclassmen, the combine is really the, the shot you got. And if it doesn't go well, you know, there's, you know, Pro day, yeah, it's there, but not a lot of people, you know, put the ilk to it that it, you know, these guys would hope they would. So it was a tough spot for Greedy. So talk a little bit about, uh, you know, these three, obviously, as they were, they were, we'll see where it ends up, they were the consensus top three. Yeah, and I mean, just starting at the top with Greedy, like you mentioned, running 4-3-8 was really good for him, but I thought it went all downhill. After that, he didn't look fluid in the drills at all. He was fall-stepping a lot, and he constantly had to start some drills over just because he wasn't doing them correctly. And a lot of people Which have is weird and, because if yeah. your last name is Williams, you saw 27 guys do it before you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, I mean, he has a lot to live up to being the LSU corner. I mean, they've been pumping out those guys for over decades now, so he has a lot to live up to. And I was just kind of disappointed with him overall after running that 4-3-8 and I mean he's my top corner right now but I have some serious questions right now because I really don't know if he's a typical man corner or if he's better in the zone type of defensive scheme because he does have some hip limitations he and allows a, weird, a little bit of a weird body at yeah. 6 to 185 I mean yeah. you know the, the weight height it's a little off yeah it is and he's gonna have to gain some weight but he hasn't gained a lot of weight in his three years when he was at LSU so it makes you kind of wonder if he's a bit maxed out from a body standpoint wise and if he's going to be able to add that weight i thought byron murphy did fantastic in the drills and he didn't run as fast as what some people were thinking but he plays fast which is going to help him a lot in draft rooms as well and i think he's going to be just fine i think he's still going to be a first round pick uh, deandre baker the biggest thing was how well was his long speed and that question mark is still there because he ran in the four fives and the second round was actually a four six so he's probably going to be a typical zone corner, even though he played a mixture of both at Georgia. He was the Jim Thorpe Award winner, which awards the top defensive back in the country. But some of those skills are just not going to be translatable to where he can kind of hide in that scheme like he did at Georgia a bit. And he had a fantastic resume. I don't want to take anything away from him. I mean, not giving up a touchdown in over two seasons is just a remarkable accomplishment. He definitely deserved that award. But the questions are fair as far as his long speed and when he does have to guard these receivers in man coverage is he going to be able to stick remain sticky with them down the field that's going to be the biggest question about deandre baker but i think there's no way he's going to get out of the second round i still think he'll probably end up being a top 50 pick yeah i, I wouldn't disagree with that and it was weird because i mean the georgia guys on a whole other than michael hardman i mean most of them it was it wasn't the best it wasn't the best of times for the georgia guys and it was weird and you know because and we've talked about this a couple of times here now on the show. It was, you know, because the production standpoint, you know, for a lot of these guys at Georgia, it was, well, you know, well, is it that there's just too many five stars and it's hard for everybody to eat? Or was it maybe that maybe this just kind of was a down group? I mean, you know, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb both walked out of there with the production. Production was never the question with either of those two guys. And then they both went and tested very well. 
So, you know, maybe just a down year for a Georgia draft class. I mean, it does happen from time to time. Byron Murphy's been a very popular name in mock drafts for the Cleveland Browns. I, I never saw it um, because, it, you know, I, you know, Denzel Ward's here, and I think Byron Murphy, you know, his ceiling would be Denzel Murphy, I mean, Denzel Ward-like. So, but, but you got two guys that, you know, a little undersized, a little underweight. Do you want both these guys manning your outside, uh, or do you want a nice little blend of both? And that's where we're going to transition. And this is a guy, Jordan, I've been talking about for a while, and out of Michigan State. And you know, yes, his on-field play is limited compared to some of these other guys. You know, two two years and change as a cornerback, but at almost six two, you know, it, it, an eighty-inch wingspan. Justin Lane burns off a couple of four-five-one flats. And everybody, you know, had to question, you know, you know, the, uh, let's hope the hips don't lie. The hips didn't lie. Yeah, and I mean, he's definitely on the upswing right now. And he just transitioned over to the position. He played wide receiver up until 2016 when he did make the transition. So what you're seeing is that he's still scratching the surface of just learning how to play the position. He's still learning the details and the nuances of it. And that's what you've seen throughout his last two years actually playing at corner he's a bit over aggressive and he questions his technique from time to time you would like to see him play a little bit faster than what he he does but that's just him feeling around or feeling his way around the position but i think if he's able to get with a demanding position coach i think he can be a high upside type of guy he can prove to be one of the better number two corners which would be perfect opposite of denzel ward because i think denzel ward can be that at number one type of shutdown corner, but you have a field corner in Justin Lane to where he can deal with those bigger Z receivers on the field side of the, the formation. So I think he would be a really good fit, whether that's in the second or the third round. But after running four or five, it wouldn't surprise me if he's pushed himself in the conversations to be a second round pick. It was actually funny because uh, I talked with his age, agent a little bit. Uh, he's actually the uh, same agent as Andy Isabella, which now, so these are two Ohio kids. These are guys we followed a lot here. Obviously, you know they're close to the Cleveland area, and uh, you know how good's he get? And then finally, you know, I had done enough homework, and I went back to the agent. I'm like, wait a minute, you didn't tell me that this kid was a track kid in high school. Just sent me back to wink in the in the text message. Like, ah, see what happens. Maybe that track background will work out. And obviously, it did work <laughs> out for Justin Lane. Um, I don't, there's not a huge need here for the, in the safety group, but I mean, we've covered them all, Jordan, so we might as well do this here. And I, who knows? I mean, you know, there, Steve Wilkes has talked about how impressed he is with Jabril Peppers. I keep thinking Jabril Peppers, Shaq Thompson in Carolina, maybe, maybe Jabril starts to do more of that. So maybe you're going to bring in another safety, but some, some of these guys, some of the guys uh, from the safety class have caught your eyes. Yeah, so the first one that really caught my eye was Taylor Rapp, and he didn't run overly well. <laughs> he but is I, fun. Yeah, I'm a huge Taylor Rapp fan, and he can play that underneath type of coverage, and we'll see what role Jabril Pepper uh, can't say his name, Jabril Peppers <laughs> does end up playing uh, in Steve Wilkes' defense. But I think there's a role if they want to pair Taylor Rapp for him because Taylor Rapp is the type of safety that can play multiple types of roles and not just be locked into that strong safety spot that Jabril Peppers has shown to be more strong at or that caters to his skill set a bit more. But if they want a guy that really can play on the roof or also other positions as well, his name is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Florida. 
I think he's played himself firmly into the second round discussion as well. And he didn't look very good in 2017, but he had a bounce back year in 2018 last year. And he was the leader on the back end of that Gators defense. Also, another guy that caught my eye as well that could be better in that one high situation is Darnell Savage from Maryland. Now, if you're able to keep plays in front of him, I think when he can come downhill and just be an enforcer, I think that's the best role he's best served as. And him running on the four threes and even the four fours on the second run, I think really helped him a lot. So I expect Savage to firmly be a third round picker even earlier. Yeah, and you know, that, that was some. I mean, you know, the way he ran, and you know, he definitely plays with an attitude. And I mean, you could not ask for a better last name and played a safety position in Savage. Um, but one thing, you know, obviously Rap worked out well. One of the things that's going to help Taylor Rap is there is still a huge value in this league of are you going to tackle the guy in front of you, and that is what Taylor Rap brings, and he's going to have value to better teams in this league because these teams, what are they traditionally in the second half? They're normally up. So what do you want? You don't want to get dinked and dunk and beat down by a running back who gets 11 receptions for 145 yards because nobody can tackle him. Taylor Rapp's a guy that fits into that equation. This guy does not miss many tackles, and that's one of the most impressive parts of his game for me. Um, guys, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on Twitter, Locked on NFL Net, guys, uh, check us out over there. Uh, everything from the show hosts and the shows is funneled through both accounts. I mean, for both those accounts, obviously, whether it's Twitter or Instagram. So if you're not following on Locked on NFL Net on Instagram or Twitter, please go ahead and rectify that right now. Jordan, I'm not going to let you go without. Now you're Vikings here. Um, what what came away? What'd you come away with? I mean, I tell, I tell you, give me a name or two free agency. Give me a name or two draft-wise. Because last year didn't go like it was supposed to. And obviously, you know, you got a lot of best in your quarterback. Dalvin Cook looks like the knee injuries in the past. Obviously, you got two quality receivers. You know, g- Give me a couple of names here through free agency, through the draft, that can get this Viking squad. Because, look, nobody thought, you know, the Bears winning the NFC North last year. Nobody saw it coming. Obviously, most people felt this should have been you guys. What can right that wrong this season for you guys? Yeah, well, it starts with the offensive line. They have to find a way to address this offensive line because, I mean, you invest $84 million in Kirk Cousins and you don't have the parts to fix or surround that million dollar, that $84 million car that you did buy. And that's exactly what happened last year. They just didn't have the wall to surround him. And it really broke down as the year went on. And whenever the dam broke, it just completely fell apart as a whole. And I think this year they have to find a way to create some money. Now, I don't know exactly how they're going to do that because they have so much money tied in the veterans after signing Eric Kendricks, Stefan Diggs, and Daniel Hunter to those lucrative long-term deals. So they're very, they're very cap-strapped right now. And that's why Anthony Barr is most likely being let go because they just don't have the money. Sheldon Richardson is another name that might potentially be let go as well. So they're going to eventually get those guys back as far as a compensatory pick standpoint in 2020. But as far as the now, they have to find a way to maybe sign a Matt Paradis, a center from the Denver Broncos last year. And there's some ties there with Gary Kubiak. Those guys go back, I think, right when Kubiak started coaching the Broncos a few years ago. He was the guy that really gave Paradis his first chance. Roger Saffold is another name, even though he's probably going to be one of the more high-priced type of free agents, but maybe they can create some cap room in order to sign either one of those guys, and we'll see what does happen with Pat Elfline on the interior. He struggled mightily last year just because he wasn't able to have any rehab time from his shoulder surgery that he did have in January after the NFC Championship game. 
against the Eagles. So we'll see if he's able to have a bounce back year. And if they do move him to guard, I expect them to do address center, whether that's through the draft or free agency. But I think this offseason is all about offensive line. Uh, and I think it would have to be, uh, you know, because look, it, with the one thing, and that's Kirk Cousins, that's what he's going to need. He's got most of the other weapons in place. Um, and it was it was tough to see. So I mean, I, I do want to see I do want to see a bounce back for your your Vikings. Um, I do like the fact that maybe they decided they're going to go with a little bit more of Dalvin Cook. It seemed things seem seemed to get a little bit better as you know later in the year, even though it was pretty much all hoping was lost. But once they started getting Dalvin Cook a little bit more involved, I think it gave a, a more balance to the offense, and it was a lot. It made it easier for the receivers to go and do their thing. Yeah, and I mean, the biggest thing that happened last year was there was just a struggle at the top as far as control with John DeFilippo and Mike Zimmer. That The shattering of that relationship just completely derailed the season as a whole, in my opinion, because there was a power struggle between the two. John DeFilippo, he really, to my, in my honest opinion, I think he was trying to show off some fancy plays or just how well his offense operated, and he wasn't listening to what Mike Zimmer wanted to do because – he was one of the hottest head coaching candidates coming into the year, and he wanted to make sure he did everything in his power to ensure that he was going to get that head coaching job eventually. And there was a power struggle at the top, and that's why I think Mike Zimmer eventually did let John DeFilippo go just because he wasn't listening to him because Mike Zimmer is an old-school, archaic-style type of coach. He wants to establish the run and run the football. And John DeFilippo, he's more centered around the passing game and wanted to throw the ball down the field and that's something Mike Zimmer just wasn't very cool with and they ended up parting ways I think it's very similar to what the offensive coordinator situation was early uh, in the season last year with the Browns as well yeah two guys that were kind of already had eyes on what was going to be the next chapter of their coaching lives and they ended up not remembering what their current duties and what they were being paid for at the time and it ended up obviously costing both of, both of them and you know now wait now this is where you're at you know I mean you know you go and try to regroup yourself, um, Jordan. Uh, in free agency and stuff like that's coming along here. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean we're getting now you know some trickle some bigger names you know Justin Houston, uh, New York Giants. I have no idea what you all are doing, but sure go ahead throw Landon Collins out there for just you know whatever anybody can have him. Um, but it seems like this safety class. Is going to be insane. Obviously, Eric Weddle is now a part of that group. It, it seems it's weird. It's almost the positions being a little devalued for the money that these guys kind of deserve. Yeah, and I'm really surprised by that. But it started off last year because there were so many guys that were on the market last year that really didn't find jobs for months, even after even after free agency opened. I mean, Trey Boston was a popular name. Eric Reed took forever to find some employment as well. So it just shows you how the safety position is being devalued. And I don't expect that to happen this year just because the talent at that position is so deep this year. Even a Tyron Matthew, a guy yep. we didn't mention as well, another name that's going to add his name in the mix as well with Landon Collins and a host of other names. Yeah, Eric Weddle's name is now in there too. So it, it, the position is very deep as a whole, and I expect some of those guys to come off the, vo the board very quickly as free agency opens. I don't think Landon Collins – is going to come to a deal maybe during the opening hours of free agency. But during that first day, I expect him somebody to blow him away with the offer because he just turned 25. He's in the prime of his career. And I think he feels a huge need on a lot of teams' defenses around the league. There's it, it, it's, it's insane. Um, he was one of the few things to enjoy watching the last couple of years on New York Giants defense. Uh, you know, Obviously, they paid Olivier Vernon all that money. 
didn't get nearly the return of the investment. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul was playing well, but they decided to end up moving him because now we have too much money in the position, and you weren't going to move Vernon, so you ended up moving Pierre-Paul. Uh, and you know, and now there's a possibility the New York Giants are going to trade Odell Beckham, and you got Dave Gettleman calling the shots on this. Yeah, <laughs> my Giants fans, I'm sorry about that, but I mean, if you're going to make a major move like this, I'd feel a lot more comfortable if it wasn't David Get- Dave Gettleman making the call here. Uh, now, Jordan, uh, you know about the the draft board podcast. Uh, obviously, over at Blue Wire, um, guys, anybody, you know, uh, Jake Burns been on the show a bunch. Obviously, uh, Jake's over there. At, well, uh, Blue Wire does a show over there as well. Um, go ahead, pump the show a little bit. What do you got coming on for everybody? Yeah, so Blue Wire is just a company started by Kevin Jones, who's based in San Francisco, California. He started our Browns, up, our Browns folks know Kevin Jones. <laughs> yeah, he started it up about two years ago, and it's one of the fastest growing podcast platforms in the entire country. James Jones, the former receiver from the Green Bay Packers, he has his own podcast on Blue Wire as well. Um, alongside his co-host and they do a really good job um, over there so I'm really excited I just started the draft board about a month ago episode six just released with Mark Schofield I've had Darden Reisner uh, the draft prospect the offensive tackle from Kansas State uh, Dane Brugler from the athletic and also Matt Miller uh, from Bleacher Report as well so the guests are just going to get better and better as the time goes on and it's just not a draft show and that's something that I'm reiterating to everybody. We're going to debate college football as we get into the deep parts of the college football season as well. Yes. And also some NFL games as well. So don't let the title be misleading. We're going to dive into some college football and some NFL football as well. I'm excited because I finally have a platform and I'm excited to see it grow and continue on as well. Yeah, and, 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 and like I told you, it gets addicting. It's fun. It's fun to do. And, it's, and I'm going to tell you right now, especially when it's, and Jordan, you're about to live my life. You're about to live with three women in one, under one roof. You're gonna need. You're gonna need that escape. You are. Uh, for me, getting to do it daily makes it a little bit better because I got a little bit more of it. But look, uh, the show is fantastic, and obviously, you know, with the guest list, you know, the the who's who. You've had some great ones. Obviously, you know, the names you mentioned. Anybody here in Locked On Browns, you know, all the names they've been here as well. So uh, I wish you continued success with that. And now, look, um, with obviously with everything that's coming on, I wish you all the best. When is when is life about to change even more for you guys? June 9th. <laughs> I think they, right. I think they're going to come earlier than that, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I give her all the credit in the world, man. But right now, I mean, because it was, oh, come on now, you got to eat. You're eating for two. Imagine telling somebody you're eating for three. That's you know. <laughs> That's a tall task to anybody, but uh, I wish you the best. Obviously, I wish your wife the best. It, it, you know, it's going to be absolutely the greatest experience of your life, guys. Um, if you're not checking out Jordan's work over at Cover One, go ahead and do that. Um, Jordan has been an up and comer, and this year was able to get down to Mobile. Everybody got to meet him, and everybody just came away ultra impressed. I've always been impressed. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan is solid in what he does. And doesn't get involved in any other aspects of it with Twitter. And guys, I'm trying to do better with that, but I cannot deal with the BS at some point, at some time. So I gotta let loose on somebody. Um, but Jordan is you know, a class act, true pro at what he does. Make sure you're checking out the Draft Board podcast. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, wherever you find your uh, podcasts. Part of the uh, Blue Wire uh, podcast network over there. You know, Jake Burns, like I said, another guy over there, guys that you would know very well. Um, this has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Until we talk the next time, um, we'll see what's going on, guys. Um, Now there's talk of maybe there's another trade in the works. 
Um, look, John Dorsey's hustling, and that's one thing you guys can appreciate. And with the AFC North kind of crumbling around the feet of the Cleveland Browns right now, yeah, you might as well strike while the iron's hot and put yourself the best competitive roster you can and go out and see what 2019 brings you. So let's hope John Dorsey can do that. Um, this, uh, like I said, DDD, Daily Delivery of All Things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.